Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope, with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. And now here's Pastor Ralph with part two of his message entitled, Faith That Sets You Apart. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. I want to take you through chapters 12, 13, and 14 of the book of Genesis, because I want you to see a process of growth in the life of this man, Abram. He's the father of all who believe, is the way the scripture puts it. Now, as you, as you look at Abram, we talked about him last week, having a relationship with God, moving into a relationship with God, and it was largely driven by, by his own need. You know, I think it's our selfishness that brings us close to the Lord in the beginning. There's, there are things in my life that aren't the way that I want them to be, and so I, I come to God hoping that he can make a difference. And we talked last week about how there's, there's three ways that he wants to make a difference. He wants to, to first give you the thing you're asking for. Second, he wants to surprise you by supplying it in abundance. Are you looking for love? God has love for you. Do you need for your business to, to, to succeed and to be in the black? Well, God wants to do more than that. He wants to prosper you. Are you looking for wisdom to make your family operate well? Well, God wants that family to be so good that this brings us to the third thing, that you become a channel of his blessing, that God can pour his goodness into you and then it can fan out through you to people around in the community. God is willing to partner with us if we're willing to partner with him. And so Abram receives these wonderful promises from God and he trusts the Lord enough that he gets up and he moves to the place that God wants to take him. He's willing to forsake his past for the future that God has for him. And he moves from a place called Haran where he lives down into a place that the, the Bible calls Canaan, which is the modern day land of Israel. And he camps out there for a while and he worships God. That's where we left it last week. As you get into chapter, the rest of chapter 12, you see that there's a famine or something that develops in the land. And Abram, rather than to say, I'll just stay here and trust the Lord to take care of me, or perhaps at the Lord's leading, we don't know, it doesn't say that. One of the things about Genesis is that you have to understand there's not a lot of detail in Genesis. When you start to, to read the first three chapters of Genesis, the creation story, you need to keep in mind it's not written to be a science book. All God is saying is, here's what I did, and here's the order in which I did it, and uh, I'm here. So when you, we get caught up in some of these arguments, we're, we're trying to make an argument without a lot of evidence. And So as you get here, for some reason, Abram, he goes to Canaan where he's supposed to go, and then we don't know why, he just leaves Canaan, and he goes off into Egypt. Now he gets down to Egypt, and he's, he's confused, and he's frightened, because the Egyptian king has a harem. He has lots of wives. And Abram's wife is a looker, and Abram is afraid that the king is going to take his wife away from him. In fact, what he's really afraid of is that the guy will kill him in order to take his wife away and, and kind of put some sort of a, you know, it's easier to do murder than adultery. Uh, I'll kill you so your wife is free for me to marry her. That's the thinking that Abram has. Now, you know, as you read through Genesis, one of the things that always confuses me, and I, I never have found an answer to this, is the ages. If you read chapter 11 of Genesis, you see some people are like 200 years old. And, and I question sometimes, does that mean that maybe they marked the calendar with the, 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 the summer and the winter equinox or something? I don't know. All I know is, the Bible says his wife is 65 years old, and he's scared that some guy's going to bump him off to get his wife, because she's so good looking. Anyway, you just figure that one out on your own. He gets down there, and he tells her to lie. You lie and say you're my sister. So he won't know that we're married, so that he won't want to take my life. And you can go join the harem, babe. You know, a lot of security in this marriage. Now, as you read the whole story, one of the things that you see 
uh, is that is that in, in early civilization, in every culture, what we would call incest, they called normal. They hadn't yet understood what happens when you marry your cousin or you marry your sister. And, and Sarai was a, a half-sister to Abram. And so, in a sense, she's telling the truth. She is his sister, but she is his wife. And, and so, he, he, what he does is he kind of slip slides around and he takes things into his own hands, doesn't trust God. And he finds himself to be a person without much integrity. He's willing to, 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 to tell a lie or cover up a truth, however you look at it, to save his skin. Now, this is not a man who's showing a, a, a lot of the attributes of faith and faithfulness. Yet the Bible says, here's Abram, the father of the faithful. Now, what I think is that God took time to make sure that this all got written down. So we who start well and then fall in our nose would know that there's hope for us. that makes sense? Virtually everyone in this room that's had an experience with God has found that that experience with God begins to transform the inside of you, but it's a process. It doesn't just happen like that. And some of us are, are, are laying there rolling around in the mud right now and feeling really sorry about the way that we are and feeling miserable like we've let God down somehow and that He must just about want to be done with us. And what you see in the life of Abraham is a story of hope that God works you through the process and He strengthens you and He betters you. And what's important to you and I is not that we get it all right. It's that we stay in the process and we stay teamed up with God and we allow His grace to continue to work in our life. And so you see Abraham and he gets kicked out of Egypt. The king figures out and the Bible doesn't say how. He figures out, you lied to me and he kicks him out of the country under the escort of armed guards. And so Abram is coming back to the land of Canaan and he's, he's slithering back. You know, he's like a snake on its belly. Uh, things didn't go really well for him. And then the Bible doesn't say what happens next. It just tells another event in Abram's life. It's probably several years until he and his nephew Lot are, are prospering so much. God is blessing them so much that their herds of sheep and goats are getting too large to live near each other. And the shepherds that work for them are fighting with each other over the grass line and the water. And so uh, these two guys decide to part company. We'll split up and God can bless us apart from each other more than he can together. And so Abram tells Lot, you look around you at all the land that's here and you pick whatever suits you best. And Lot says, I want that part. And it's the lush, green, well-watered part and he leaves Abram the rest of it. And what you see at the end of that chapter, chapter 13, is God comes to Abram. And, and basically says, you've done a good thing. Don't worry, Abram. I'm with you. And eventually, all this becomes yours. It'll belong to your descendants. Don't you sweat it. You and I are going to be together, and I'm going to prosper you. You know, when you read that, you go, why did God appear at this time? It's got to be that Abram did a noble thing. And then was beginning to have second thoughts. He did something that's really good. He put his nephew first, and then he starts to think, oh my gosh, I, I shouldn't have done that. And I think that happens to us in our growth in faith. We, we, we know the thing the Lord wants to, us to do. Uh, he begins to change us. He, he puts different values in our heart. And, and so we start to operate according to those values. And then sometimes we go, oops, maybe I, I, maybe I, I'm, I jeopardize myself here. I'm, I'm going to be in trouble because I tried to do something that's really good. Does this make sense? And so here's Abraham. He's beginning to venture into the place where faith intersects with ethics. And he makes a, a right decision. 
it's a costly decision, but his faith hasn't grown so much that he feels real strong in that. He's at a place where he's, he's feeling very vulnerable. And the Lord says, no, no, hang in there, buddy. I'm on your side. We're going to go through this thing together. Am I making sense with this? Well, let's go ahead and, 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 and look at the next event in his life, which is a war. Uh, oh, let me tell you something. I forgot to, to put this in there. The, the, the Jordan River Valley and the place in it where Lot decides to settle is called Sodom. And you've heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible actually says in chapter 13 that the people there are more wicked than the people anywhere on the earth. We get our word sodomy from the place called Sodom. And so you start to get some ideas what was going on. This is a very, very ugly culture. And suddenly the people in Sodom come under attack. There's a war. A king attacks them. And he kidnaps all the people who live in Sodom, including Lot. He takes all their personal possessions away, all the wealth of the place. It has nothing to do with Abraham, but it touches Abraham because it now has touched his relatives. And he finds himself enmeshed in somebody else's conflict, and and he comes under attack. And so I want you to read chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 1, and then we'll slip over to verse 11 real quick. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, About this time war broke out in the region. Now, what apparently was happening... You could read it in the next few verses. We're going to skip them. Is that Kedolaramar was the boss. He ran all of these nine kingdoms to the extent that he extracted taxes from the other eight of them. Now, uh, these weren't large kingdoms, but they all had their little armies. And uh, this one guy has been basically uh, extracting income from the rest of them. And, and, and four of, or five of these kings had decided we're not paying you anymore. And so Kedolaramar and his buddies come up and wage war against these guys, and they haul off everybody as captive as a result. Verse 11, it says, The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah, and they began their long journey home, taking all the wealth and the food with them. And when it says wealth, you might draw a little line down to the bottom of, of verse 16, because it mentions all the women and the other captives. It just says wealth and food. In those times, people were considered wealth because they were going to be hauled off as slaves. Families would be separated, never to see each other again in their lives. Uh, women would be raped and plundered. This is a very, very ugly scenario. And so it says, They plundered Sodom and Gomorrah, began their long journey home, taking all the wealth, all the food with them. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom, and they took everything he owned. One of the men who escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was camped at the oak grove belonging to Mamre, the Amorite, Mamre and his relatives, Eshkol and Anar, were Abram's allies. Now, it's the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and all of that. But when the messenger comes to Abram, it becomes the story of Abram as well because he feels responsibility toward his nephew Lot. And so, as much as Lot is under attack physically, Abram now is under attack, can I say it, spiritually? He has a conflict within him. What do I do? Do I go out and trust the Lord? To, to, re, you know, to knock these guys off and release Lot? Uh, do I just let it happen? Where am I in the midst of this conflict? And I think uh, you and I face those kind of deals a lot of the time. There's something that happens. We didn't do it. We didn't start it. We're not responsible for it. But it vastly affects our lives and it hurts us. And so Abram comes under attack. Now you've, you're seeing progress in Abram's life. He started out from this man who God has said good things to. And he's begun to obey to the weasel that did the thing that he did in Egypt, to the, to the sort of shaky person who's trying to make right decisions as he div- divvies up land with Lot, 
And now he stands up strong and true and says, I'm going to trust the Lord. And he goes out to war against these, all of these kings. Now think about it. There's, there's four kings who've conquered five. So they're pretty tough guys. But they have the ability now to take all the slaves and all the people that they have control over and put a weapon in their hand and force them to fight against Abram. And Abram and his 318 men go up against these guys and they win. They surprise them in the middle of the night and they win. Uh, you get the feeling God's on their side. Look at verse 14. It talks about winning a victory. When Abram learned that Lot had been captured, he called together the men born into his household, 318 of them in all. These were the servant families. Now, this is a pretty big household. Abram is a pretty successful small businessman. He's got 318 men, plus all the other women and children. Plus, there's got to be other men, because who took care of the flock while he went off to war with the 318? This is a fairly large operation here. And he chased after Kedorlaomer's army until he caught up with them in Dan. And then he divided his men, and he attacked during the night, while the other guys are probably all laying around drunk, from several different directions. Kedorlaomer's army fled, so there wasn't a lot of fighting. They ran away. But Abram chased them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram and his allies recovered everything, the goods that had been taken, Abram's nephew Lot with his possession, and all the women and all the other captives. And so now Abram's the victor. He's in control, and he's a hero. He wins a victory in God's name. Again, here's a man growing in his faith. The process is working out. God's victory is, is happening in his life, like it'll happen in your life. You know, we, we always will have some kind of struggle going on, but we can expect the Lord to give us victory in those struggles. But now he's faced with what I would say is a, is a time of temptation. Look at the next few verses. Verse 17 says, As Abram returned from his victory over Kedorlaomer and his allies, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. Now, here's the king over the, the place that the Bible says is the most wicked place in all of the earth. So that's who he's doing business with. At the same time, verse 18 says, Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and the priest of God Most High brought him bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. And it says the things that he said to Abram. And uh, blessed be Abram by God Most High, uh, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who's helped you conquer your enemies. God's blessing is on your life. And bless God because he's helped you with your life. And it says, then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all of the goods that he had recovered. And it says... That the king of Sodom told Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods that you have recovered. And so here is the king of wickedness, the king of Sodom, telling Abram, You can have all the stuff, just give me back the people. Now, now again, think it through. The, the, the king of Sodom is really going to really be the master of these people at this point because they come back impoverished and he's in control. He's in total control. And, and this is like temptation coming right out of the pit of hell. And here's Abram. He replied, I have solemnly promised the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or a sandal thong, a shoelace, from you. Otherwise you might say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. All I will accept is what these young men of mine have already eaten, but give a share of the goods to my allies. And he goes on and names them. These guys don't get it with God, so you can give them something. But I'm not taking anything from you, and I'm not taking anything that doesn't belong to me, and I don't want anybody to be able to say that they made me a rich person. I want it to be said that God made me a rich person. 
And so what is he doing? He's, he's withstanding temptation and he's pushing something of great material value out of the way in order to ensure that he stays right in his relationship with God and that he stays in the place where God is free to bless him. He's living the lesson of faith. He's gone from the person who's willing to, to lie and cover up and cheat because he's trying to be in control and protect himself and he doesn't trust God to the person who fully trusts God and is willing to make difficult and painful decisions. It, it's hard anytime you look at it to turn down wealth. And here's a guy who's willing to say, no, I don't want that. I want to do the right thing, though it costs me something, because I want to do the right thing with God. And I think that brings us to you and I. We talked about a faith that sets you apart. One of the problems with faith in America is that it's so nebulous and so meaningless. There's a lot of people who will say, oh, I'm a spiritual person, or I have faith. But when you actually talk to them, they sort of have faith in nothing. They'll say, I have faith in the universe. Well, the universe never hears your prayers when you pray. The universe just hangs there in space. It doesn't do a lot of good. I have faith in God, but when you start to talk about, well, what God do you have faith in? Well, it really is a God. If I made God, here's the way God would be. Well, that's like an, an idol. It's a God I made. And, 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 and if there's a God, He's the way He is. He's not the way you want him to be. He's, I mean, that's sort of like me. I'm the way I am. I'm not the way you want me to be. You can't change me by saying, oh, I don't envision Ralph like that. I envision Ralph like this. I, I'm, I, I still come up with fangs, you know? <laughs> Nothing changes. God is God. But see, there's a lot of people who say they worship the God of the Bible. They worship the Jesus of the New Testament. But it, it really ever, never ever takes hold in their life down where, where their faith begins to operate in the midst of the painful decisions of life. And a faith that sets you apart is a faith that's grown enough that you come to a place where when, when you have to make a tough call, you, you make the call believing that God will do everything that He's promised to do for you and that you, you, can, you can rely on Him, you can trust in Him. See, one of the problems that I have with words like faith and trust are that we make them religious immediately. Here's trust. I could go down across any busy highway with my granddaughter and my four-year-old granddaughter who's afraid to run across the street by herself, who's been taught not to do that and who'd probably get killed if she did it. will just take my hand and go right across because Grandpa's with her and she's going to feel safe. What we really want to get to in our faith is not some religious faith. What we really want to come to is a faith that is just simply pure trust. That I can calmly look trouble in the eye or I can look at a difficult decision or I can turn down material wealth uh, I'm not going to do something that's cheating or compromising here it might look like it benefits me in the short term but I trust God enough that God will bless me I, I don't need to do that does that make sense you know I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer I'm, a, I'm an electrician I'm an accountant and, I, and I, got, I, got, I got temptations over the way that I bill people now I'm going to do the right thing. I'm filling out my income taxes. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm building something and, and, and there's an oversupply of materials and it's, it's seriously in my favor and, 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 and I'm going to choose to do the right thing here rather than the thing that would benefit me in the short run but it would do something, it would, it would begin to be corrosive 
in terms of who I am and what God's trying to, to get me to be. And, and I've come to a place where I have a faith that sets me apart. I have a confidence in God that's strong enough that I'll say, no, no, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Uh, and, 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 and who cares about the consequences? Because God cares about the consequences. I'll do what's proper and let God worry about the rest of it. Does this make sense to you? Now, here's the issue. All of us are different places in our faith walk. Some of us are, are in that place where Abram was that we talked about a week ago. We've just found God and we're going, oh, hallelujah, everything is wonderful. Others of us are at the place where we found the Lord, we're starting to walk, and we found out that it's a little slippery. We've fallen in our face, and, and we're maybe just feeling terrible about it, and we need to just get up and move forward. Others of us have come to a place where we're starting to make some of the tough calls, but we're scared out of our mind. Is, is God really going to come through or not? I saw a guy like that this week. I, there, there's a, a man that I, I talked to, and, and his girlfriend broke up with him. And this is a guy that in his past has been a violent man. In fact, he was in prison because of that. He came out of prison, found the Lord in prison, came out, got into one of our Bible studies, learning to, to die to yourself and let your mind be transformed by what Jesus did on the cross. And it's shaping his whole life. And, and so the girl breaks up with him, and, and he's angry. And he goes, I wanted to do hateful things to her, to her family. I mean, it's scary. This week, this happened. And he goes, but I've, I've decided to allow God to transform my mind by the Scriptures. And so I, I got in, I started reading my Bible, and I... He says that the Lord spoke to me and I, I realized that I've handled life wrong all my life. And so I decided to let that go. I'm not going to be that way. And, and I decided just to be kind and, 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 and not to express my hurt in any way at all. And he was ripped when he's telling me this. I mean, he's, he's happy because he knows he's on the right track. At the same time, it's, it's like everything I've always trusted in. See, I trusted in violence. I trusted in being able to bully people. And, and that, though that's wrong, Whatever it was you used to trust in is what you trusted in, and it gave you security. And all that security is taken away from him. And so he's kind of on shaky ground here. I'm trusting the Lord. And, and the cool thing is I saw the two of them in church together on Friday night. Now, I don't know if they're back together as boyfriend girlfriend or if they're just talking. But the point is that whatever evil was in his heart, God has taken it away because he's, he's maturing. He's growing in faith. And the issue is that we are in the process of growing and maturing in our faith. Does this make sense? Faith that begins to make a difference in how we handle our life. You may be a person today who, as I'm talking about this, you're faced with some real temptation to do something that you know would be stealing, would be dishonest, and, and, and in the, the, the short little while, it would benefit you greatly. But you know that it would do something to the insides of you that God doesn't want done, neither do you. And yet to have to say no to something it's like, well, you know, here's my one opportunity. Uh, the, the issue is to grow like Abraham. I want it to be the Lord. I don't want it if it's not the Lord. I want God's grace in my life. I want His blessing in my life. And I want to stand in the place where blessing flows. A faith that really does set you apart. That's where we're trying to get to. The issue is stay in the process. Wherever you are in the process, stay in the process. And let God complete the work He's trying to do in you. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you today and... Acknowledge you as the object of our faith. Lord, our faith is not just some ill-defined sense of spirituality. It's confidence in a person who loves us and who cares for us and who sent his son Jesus to, to show us the extreme nature of that care and that love. And, and God, the issue in our heart today is to be able to entrust ourselves to you like a little girl 
entrusting yourself to her granddad to pass across a busy street. Lord, that we would put ourselves in your hands and your safekeeping, and we would make right decisions because of that trust. Lord, we don't want to find ourselves as a bunch of legalistic people who are always worrying about the rules. We want to find ourselves as a bunch of people who are trusting in a Father who loves us and, and that what motivates us is that trust and your kindness in our lives. And it makes it easy for us to make right choices and to see what's correct from what's not correct. Lord, let your blessings flow in our hearts and lives this week. Father, as we leave this place, we want to be a force. We want to be a spiritual force invading our community with your love and your grace and your peace in the decisions we make, in the things that we say, in the way that we reach out and love other people. God, help get things really straight in our life so that we can be a blessing to the people around us. Let your grace flow through us in Jesus' name. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe.